0: Black lives matter, black lives matter, yeah, 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 trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit, too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets, eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it, agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan. Depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on. It's either turned off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger. No thinking twice. The cops be wildin'. The killing youth. The new Jim Crow. A different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast. Mark of the beast. Cease and desist. Increase the peace. Move in silence. Don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. To all the martyrs, say your prayer. Heavenly Father.
1: Black Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm about to start calling you Pastor Mix because you blessed that track, sir.
0: <laughs> Appreciate that, good brother. How's everything going, man?
1: Oh, everything is great. I'm very excited today. As you can see, I'm in my uh, prep school Negro attire. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. So we all have an amazing treat in store. So thanks to our good brother, Mikael Yisrael and a barber at the Brown Juice Barbershop we have the fortune and honor to be educated by Mr. Andre Robert Lee. And just a little short bio about Andre. So everyone, you're going to be so enthusiastically excited for this. So Andre is a keynote speaker and consultant around issues related to anti-racism, inclusion, diversity for educational and corporate institutions. He's also a filmmaker and uses his films in his keynotes and presentations, which is amazing. Now, I kind of want to, you know, get tickets just to see that. Andre's experiences includes many things, such as New York City Public Schools, the Ford Foundation, Miramax Films, Urban World, Film Movement, Diana Ross, BET, Universal, HBO, Picturehouse, and DreamWorks, you know, full house. Andre directed and produced the prep school Negro, which we'll be having a clip of shortly, and it took on a worldwide tour over the past 10 years. Andre has served as producer on the documentary I'm Not Racist, am I? Great question. Andre received a fellowship in 2013 and was tasked with directing and producing the 12 month series Life Cycles in Inequity. Excuse me, of inequity a color line series on black men. Andre created the election effects project for Spike TV as well. And Andre's next film is called Virtually Free. He directed this story about incarcerated youth in Richmond, Virginia. Andre has been leading the cause for development of a future film or series on the life and times of Bayard Rustin. Am I pronouncing that correct? Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin, excuse me. Andre also teaches filmmaking at Germantown Friends School. He has worked with the school to develop a film program for middle and upper school. Oh, that, that would be amazing. That's incredible. Andre has been a professor of writing at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, also known as UPenn. And we're going to get into that clip from the prep school Negro by... Director, producer, keynote speaker, and educator, Andre Robert Lee. You cannot show up to AP classes, AP English, and be like, yo, what up? When I first started going to the school, so they wanted to touch my hair, I'd teach them how to do all the dances. We're coming from a family of doctors and lawyers. We're coming from a family that's working three jobs just to get food on the table.
2: I'm Andre Robert Lee, 36. I grew up in the ghettos of Philadelphia. When I was 14, I got a scholarship to attend a prestigious private prep school.
1: That school just took my brother away from me, and that's not my brother, that's somebody
2: else. I mean, his talk is different, his walk is different.
1: In this community, I'm considered real black. In another community, you know, in my neighborhood, I'm considered white black a white boy in to private school.
0: People always try to say, you're not gangster. You went to prep school, you went to school on Park
2: Avenue. How much harder do you think it is to come back on 142nd Street in Lenox with a polo shirt, and
1: penny loafers, and survive? I mean, that's gangster. And that is, that is our official sponsor of the video. So the link is in the video description as a way to see it in its entirety, as well as more clips. As well. So without further ado, let's welcome to the stream, Andre Robert Lee. How are you doing? Hey, what's hey, going
0: on? How are you all? Doing well. Even better now that you're here, good brother. That's uh, right.
1: That's
2: what's up. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. This is exciting.
1: It's oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I just have to thank you, Andre, for also being in the comments for previous streams and then also joining us on the show. We really do appreciate it.
2: Well, oh, right on. I'm a fan. I'm a I'm a I'm a real hardcore fan. I like I like what y'all do, have to say, what it means. It's all very powerful. So thank you for doing what you do.
0: Appreciate it. And um, you know, I can't help but every time I see um <clears throat> the the intro in the trailer for Prep School Negro, a couple of things. One, I'm just fortunate and happy um, that I've gotten a chance to meet you, good brother, and build a relationship. Um, I knew of you and knew about you before I even knew that you really existed in the flesh because Working at the predominantly white institution that I used to attend uh, with uh, Josh uh, Petty, I know there were some students who were going away to a number of different organizations uh, and conferences. You know, they had the Student Diversity Leadership Conference, um, uh, and it you know, would go away and they said, you know, there's going to be a, a film that's going to be shown, uh, perhaps "School Negro." Have you heard of it? And later on, you know, there's a show called, I mean, there's going to be a film. Uh, I'm not racist, am I? Etc. I'm hearing all these things. I'm like, who is this brother? And then, uh, you know, as 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 things would have it, I went to go work at a school and. Ran into you, good brother. So you know the rest is history, as they say. So I'm, 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 I'm thankful and I'm grateful, and uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the work. I am a fan of the work, sir.
2: Thank you, thank you. You know, I didn't, I didn't know all that. <laughs> I had no idea that all that was in place. Um, so that's what's up. So I, I, just, I remember the first meeting when I heard you speak, and I was like, "Who is that? Who's that brother over there?" Like dropping knowledge. It was a base meeting, a meeting for um the boys, boys of color at school and you were in there having a talk. And I was like, y'all heard what he said, right? He's speaking to all y'all. That was um, was a powerful moment.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, so sir.
2: That's, that's great. That's great. And Josh, I've been hearing about you for so long. You know?
1: Really? Hopefully good yeah. things,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> most of them is good.
0: <laughs> I tell them all the time how you are my creative consultant and my um, social media sensei. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, brothers, because twice a week you've been uh, filling up my, my imagination, my, <laughs> my mentality, and I absolutely love it and appreciate it. And it always gets me fired up for this show, ironically. So it's, it's awesome.
0: Oh, That's great. That's excellent. So I know, if you don't mind, Josh, I know um, you read a little bit of uh, information in his background, in his bio. But good brother, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the people in your own words right here live, who you are, what you're about, that would be fantastic if you could share that with the people.
2: Hmm. Yeah, we, you will get all existential at the beginning, right? <laughs> um, you know, that question, who, who am I? You know, I think that that's an ever-evolving uh, conversation, answer, thought, Um Today I would, you know, I put, I was thinking about what to put in my like identify there on that little lower third right below me, you know, and I wrote education and government cheese, you know, cause I think they, those two go hand in hand um, to an extent. And, you know, I am a filmmaker, I'm a teacher, I'm an activist, um, I'm someone that cares and is committed to trying to change the world. I came across that idea at an early age and really wanting to, you know, affect the world in ways that I thought were necessary because I I began, when I was put into my high school my scholarship, I began to see the inequities right away. I was looking around thinking, these people are not much smarter than my mother, yet they have so much more. And I don't understand that. I was a low income kid from from the from the ghetto, from the bad neighborhoods, I'm doing quotation marks up in the air. And brought into this school and was just shocked by what I saw I and mean, the wealth, the economic divide. And race issues, all that stuff was really shocking, really shocking to me. I didn't know what to do about it, and I wanted to discuss it. So, I, I had the title for that movie, the trailer you just saw, "The Preps with Negroes," since ninth grade. I wanted to talk uh-huh. about the experience and find some way to communicate what I was going through. I had no idea there was a whole world of people out there that would connect with it and relate to it. You know, I thought it would just be me telling my story, and hopefully someone would connect. But it's changed a lot. So, so I. I'll give it quick and dirty. I finished college, finished high school off to college. I wanted to work in film, but I thought, I can't go to work in film. It's an impractical world. I'm an educated Black man. I needed to do something much more practical, close to the ground, and make it happen, because I need it. And I also thought, I don't have any nepotism or any connections in the film business, so I can't afford to go do this. Um, I can't afford not to record, and I went. Um, <laughs> I went off and did that. Got my, went and got my master's education, came and taught in a high school in East Harlem. That your sisters went to Mikhail, which still blows my mind. Central Park East Secondary School. Left that, went to um, grad school, got the master's, came back, and went and got a job at the Ford Foundation. And being at the Ford Foundation, that's when I really was like, wow, you know, there's a whole world I don't know about. And I still had the film bug I wanted to do, but I wasn't quite sure what that would mean. And I still felt I gotta be responsible. Uh, while the Ford Foundation, even I was, this is typical, typical me. I was hired to work in the education knowledge of a religion unit, but we were connected to media arts and culture. The silence are like sliding into meetings, interfering, like can I learn about film? Can I get in? What can I do? Cause you know, the Ford Foundation gave a lot of money you know, eyes on the prize. Like they Mm -hmm. funded most of Henry Hampton's work and the work that came later. and so many projects that we know. And I'm sitting here like, wow, I'm in the fits and thrills of the universe that made this happen. So I was interfering in lots of ways um, with people um, and just pushing in to try and learn as much as I could. And so I had this writing project where it was my job to look at how the foundation has spent money over the past 50 years when it came to monographic and ethnographic type films, documentaries, educational pieces. And the question was, had the foundation been making one-off grants or were they actually helping institutions become self-sustaining with a clear answer, but it was a matter of restructuring the whole department. Um, And I was sent down to the bowels of the Ford Foundation to the library. And if you are like me and like research, this was like a dream come true. Like I'm holding original documents that mm. James Baldwin touched. You know, like that was enough for me. Letter from James Baldwin saying you should find this movie because and wow. I came across two movies. One was um, The Price of the Ticket, the story about James Baldwin, which is how I came across his letters. And the other was called Rosie the Riveter. You know that mm. that sign, we, you can do it. Yes. Rosie the Riveter with the bandana. Um, That's a documentary made about women taking part in World War II, basically controlling the economy, the market, working in factories. And this is really, you know, verite, which means it's just filming the actual experience of life. film. I had seen that film as a junior in high school. I saw it as a junior in college. And all of a sudden I found myself sitting in the basement of the Film Forum Foundation in like one of the best libraries in the world, looking through original papers, trying to dissect and take apart how this was funded to make my case about how we have been spending money over the years. And I had a moment of like, oh hey, you know what? Film is education. Mm-hmm. So how do I marry the two? You know? And this the program I was brought into was all about um learning how to make being a film topic world through the Lens for Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this was great, y'all. Peace. And I had a meeting with the president, because that's just who I am. Got a calendar and I was like, so what, what do you think of someone? having come into the program to learn about making grants in philanthropy to the lens of the foundation and trying to capture a young, young audience to do this work, to build the future, going, leaving is going to film. And the president, Susan Berenstead, she said it. She's like, yo, um, she was not say yo, but she <laughs> said, I think that it's powerful for us, for us to think about the fact that someone who's using this lens is going to make material that affects so many people. And I was like, oh, peace you know, and went and took every job I could until I got a job on, um, Malcolm Lee's film, The Best Man. Mm. And that was my big first, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was in there. Like, no lie, my license had gotten suspended for some stupid stuff in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm in New York, and part of my job was to drive him around. <laughs> so I'm sitting here driving around New York, like, you gotta do what you gotta do. Cause I was like, There's no way I'm not taking this job, mm. you know? And here's another moment that, that the three of us can connect with, he was a prep school kid, you know? He went to um, to a friend's seminary here in New York mm. City. And mm. So when I said like, yeah, I want to make a movie someday called the Prep School Negro, he was like, say what? You know? <laughs> and and the, the way I got that job, craziness, craziness. So when you work in, I mean, I had a master's degree, had been pay paid, paid a lot of money at the Ford, not a lot of money, paid okay at the Ford Foundation. Let me make sure I'm not lying there. Um, <laughs> And all of a sudden I'm jumping into entertainment, you know, where I'm like fetching, fetching water for people and literally picking up dog poop, walking like mm. executive dogs, like all of it. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I have a thing called, I called it the of photocopying, where I was like, every photocopy I make will be the best photocopy ever, <laughs> you know? So what if I have a master's and been at the Ford Foundation? And so I went into... Um, I was visiting a friend, my friend Frank was a costume designer on a film. Frank actually, you've seen his work, because Frank, if you've seen anything on um, power, that's Frank. Hmm. Frank, you, you ever really say, come on, and they're just like, bam, head to tail? That's Frank. Frank Fleming is an incredible costume designer. You know, like another, another prep school kid. He hmm. went to Gilman in Baltimore. You know, like it's his whole little universe. And so I met him through a buddy and I was, Drop dropping her resume upstairs at a Lawrence Fishburne project, a movie that never got made, and I didn't get hired. And I'm riding the elevator down, and the elevator door opens, and I see Frank, and he's like, "Yo!" And I'm like, "Yo, what's up?" He's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" I'm just, I was upstairs trying to get a job with Lawrence Fishburne. I don't know, I'm gonna try to do that. He goes, "Oh well, you know, come hang out. We're just pre-production for The Best Man." I was like, "What's The Best Man?" Oh, my. Spike Lee's little cousin Malcolm got $10 million for his first film. Spike is like producing, it's gonna happen. Da-da-da. And also I hear this commotion and the union production manager, that's who does the hiring. She comes in, she's like, oh man, um Malcolm's assistant just quit. I was like, Word. <laughs> I was like, hi, how are you? When is Andre? She's like, well, who is this? And I was like, yo, I I'm a great, I'm great at being an assistant. Have you done it before? A oh, great experience, an uh, <laughs> and uh, literally, I was—I I stayed there all day trying to get a meeting with him. I finally rolled the elevator down with him. This crowded elevator, all these executives—they were going out in a tech spot, a tech scout rather—to look at a spot and check it out. And I get there, and I pitch to him on the ride down, like living version elevator pitch. I am. He's like, "Come in tomorrow morning at o'clock. And I get there at eight o'clock and sit down with him, and I say prep school Negro, talk about going to school. He's like, Word, wow. Da, da, da. He had made a short film, which was his first film about going to Friends Seminary. Mm. He showed me that, and it was, I went into it, went right into it. And, you know, think about that project. It was Tay Diggs, like, first big thing, Harold Perrineau, Neil Armand, not a first thing, but Neil was in it. Um, Melissa, Monica, Calhoun, mm-hmm. um, Homeboy from Power. What's his name?
0: Terrence. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's his name?
2: That's uh, terrible. Uh,
0: no, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Terrence mm-hmm. Howard. All of them, and
2: and 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 the 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 goat, Morgan Ch- Morgan Chestnut, Morris Chestnut. Morris, Morris Chestnut. Yes. Morris Chestnut, who was just like, I mean, it was he was so smooth it was annoying. <laughs> he walking. How you doing, brother? He just like, hello, you know, because he's just so so tight. So all of them on a Black production. I was like, this this is it. You know, this is it. This is it. Spike will come to the set once in a while, you know, and do his thing. But he removed himself because it was Malcolm's job. But it was crazy to go from, like, the Ford Foundation where we, in the Ford Foundation, when you travel back in that time, you travel on a flight more than, I think, three hours. You're required to fly business class. Mm. I went from that to like, you want some water spike? You know? <laughs> and was happy, 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 happy. Like when I watch The Best Man, I can I can I know exactly where I am where each scene was happening. That's you awesome. know that the last scene of the wedding when they're dancing? Yeah. I'm like right here. You know? <laughs> you know, and that, that scene where Mia and um Tay are are going to the the, the um Stevie Wonder film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're dancing and, then, and, then, and I think it's as,
0: mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know,
2: and I, I was right there. That was in this place called downtown community television center, television spot. And it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I still have some of the, cause I was, I can't fit it no more, but I was the same size as Tay, as um, Tay Diggs mm-hmm. and Frank knew I was Frank's boy. So Frank was like, yo, you want this? Take it. We're done with it. Like wow. a, a cashmere Prada sweater. But... More and more money than I made. Never, I never. Was, <laughs> like, was like, oh, don't, what's Prada? You know, what's that? <laughs> That's what it was, was more money than I made on the whole project problem. You know, but, you know, showing up and being there, being there. So left that, went worked in a bunch of other movies, and then there's a woman named Effie Brown. I did it again. I met her at a, at a, at a film festival. I shook her hand. She's like, yeah, I'm making a movie down in Baltimore. You know, you should come. I need somebody to do some work. I don't know, product placement or something. And I was like, bet. Didn't call her, showed up. We got secured housing in Baltimore, secured a car, showed up and was like, Hi, Effie, we met at a party. And you mentioned that if I need, if I want to come work in a movie, I yeah, I should come. And she's like, Oh my God, who are you? You know, and I was like, I'm here to work. You know, and, and, and got to work. And I shared that because That's a movie called Rocket Science, which was a film made by the documentarian uh, Jeff Blitz, who did the film um, Spelling Bee, that was nominated for Academy Award. And this was his his first feature. He got $10 million and Effie's producing it. And I was working one day, like on on an errand, looking for something. And I was like, wait a minute, Prep School Negro is a movie. I'm witnessing a gentleman who made a documentary, got nominated for Academy Award, and now it's making a feature film this is my ticket. Let me go make, and I, I like left it all. I mm. actually want some other things between that for me, I, I ran all of the, the marketing for urban world, launched a company called film movement. Like I was in it, you know, doing everything possible, but I left all that to go do my own thing and start trying to raise money to make the prep school Negro and spent a couple years raising the money, made it and thought, okay, well, I guess that's it. You know, what do I do? And I, I didn't. I got rejected from all the film festivals. I got told by some names I won't even call that you all know mm. who are big out there saying, Oh, well, is this really a movie? Do people want to see it? I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know if it's, I, I mean, if it's like beyond the little niche of people in your school that would want to see it. So it got passed mm. on. And if I told you some of the names of those people, you'd be like, mm. What? That's inconsistent with all they stand for. And I'll leave that there, and I could have stopped and been like, "Oh well, well, I made a movie and I failed after raising money and digging deep." But I said, "No, I know, I know this audience." So I went right to the audience and like took it to schools, and I was like, "Hi, oh, I made a film called Prep School Negro. Will you watch it and um, screen it?" And people, are like, a, a, a Prep School what? You know? And I was like, "Prep School Negro is about low income kid. My my experience being a lower income kid going to a private school and a scholarship. What's up?" And people start showing it. And the moment I realized something was happening, I was at a school called Head Royce, mm-hmm. which is in, um, in, um, in Oakland. And I was brought up there, it was a day-long program. It's where I got the phrase um, psychological homelessness. These two brilliant people who are psychologists organize the day. And they're like, yeah, this, is, this experience you're talking about in this school, the modern day dual consciousness of kids of color, in private schools, let's call it psychological homelessness. And I was like, wow, word. But at the end of the screening, this AS, I tell this to her all the time, this woman who I imagine was 65 years old and white, and white came over to me and like fell in my arms weeping. And I was like, you know, there, there, you know, what did you get out of the practical Negro? And she talked about all, all the levels of humanity she related to. So race forward to working with Point Made Learning, the company that produced my film, um, I'm the racist, am They produce that also. And we've just parlayed all that into a market where we go to institutions, corporations. Before I came to y'all, I was talking to a group in um, San Diego that's looking for ways to talk about diversity and inclusion that's new and different and unique. And I was like, yo, bet, we got you. Our films, we've built out tools from our films to engage you in dialogue and conversation because I believe art heals. And I believe that if you find some other way to jump into the conversation, and turn it around, we can do something else. So who am I? You know, I'm mm-hmm. someone that um, got some great opportunities, made some things happen with them, took advantage of windows and doors I saw open and like ran and jumped through them and struggle, 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 struggle and stay with it. Cause I believe, I believe that we can turn around, fix and heal this world and make it happen. So. Um, I'm an artist, I'm an activist, I'm an educator, I'm a believer you know, I, I, I've seen people transition as a result of seeing some of the work that's out there so that's my a very long answer to talk about some of who I am. That's beautiful
1: thank you Absolutely and Amanda's completely right, such an amazing story full of tenacity and and grit and that's you know, you played the, the the long game, right? It's all about thinking macro as opposed to micro. And unfortunately, we live in this uh, vacuum of society with the technology available. And yeah. it's kind of like we're training kids to think micro only. So it's amazing to hear a story like that. And the entire time you were thinking macro from the you know moment inception that you got the idea for the practical negro, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, we gotta we gotta push and fight. We gotta believe. I can't think of, I can't tell you the number of times I was told no, you Mm. know? And here's something I'm very aware of, every no that I got was the right no. And when I heard it, it hurt and I was like, oh man, what? But Every single no I got was like the no that I needed and I'm grateful for them. Um, And they weren't fun to hear, but right, work it out Dean Oliver, I'm with you. Um, Every no I got was the right, the correct no.
0: Hmm. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, <clears throat> you know, our life. Um, I always thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be dope if, when you were on like the last leg of your life, you were handed a DVD, and it was of your whole life, and you had different like scene selections and things you could jump to. Partly that's crazy because some things I don't need to see, um, <laughs> nor do I want to see. Um, but. I just think about how our lives are movies in a lot of different ways, and a lot of times we get inspiration that way. Thinking about all the movies and films that you've made and been a part of, do you have a specific inspiration for the films that you create, the films you want to create, um, the stories you want to tell? Do you have an a inspiration or something that just you know gets you up and you're like, you know what? That's an idea I need to pursue. Uh, man,
2: you know... I got to say, as a fan of this, the two things I appreciate the most are one, Mikhail's mind and Josh's reactions. So it's, it's, it's powerful to be up in it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, in terms of what, it sounds like, like the essence of what inspires me to do and create is what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, um, I wasn't. I wasn't a typical kid, you know. I was round the way, reading like crazy, you know. I wasn't a fighter. I wanted to talk it out and have a discussion, you know. I, I fought because I had to fight. It was North Philly.
1: You got to <laughs>
2: fight. Like, that's, there's no, no. You can't, you can't talk about it all the time. So, I, um, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm trying to speak for, give a voice to encourage that little boy, a little girl that thinks they're other and extreme and they aren't heard and they don't see themselves and they don't feel reflected. And they've been told whether directly or indirectly that they can't and they, that they don't and they won't. I think that I want my mission and my work without even knowing I was doing this for a while to try and counter that, to be the, the counter argument to that. To say you can and you deserve and you will. And it may not be easy, but it's important. You know, I I, I also think about how I was little, and I was a very literal kid, you know, and I would hear things like um, um, stop stop being so smart, you know. I think we talk about this and that in that other spot, you know. And I remember being looking like, why would you tell me not to be smart? You know, as a little kid, you don't understand that, but as you get older, you look at the legacy and the history of enslavement of people and what folks are learning and half the time those people are trying to help you to survive, but telling them to be so smart. That black grandma doesn't want you to get killed because you go into a bank, a police officer space, spaces that she even grew up with where if you were too smart, your life would be in danger. Mm. Um, but that wasn't part of the conversation. And then the other is um, being told we have to work twice as hard, which to this day, I'm a living witness is the truth but what needs to be behind that conversation, which I think is happening slowly in the world right now. And what I like to say, post George Floyd, we're going from a moment to hopefully a movement mm-hmm. is the whole notion and idea that we, um, yes, twice as hard and you are enough. And twice as hard has nothing to do with you and what you bring to the table. It is connected to the effects of outside pressures in the world that keep you from feeling and believing that you deserve and that you can. And how can we turn it around and say to that, that little black girl, that little black boy and all the other people that feel like other that are sitting there thinking, I can't, I don't, I don't know how I won't, you can. You know, my mother, my mother used to say something to me all the time whenever I was saying, I can't, you know, like she'd like, you know, find something, I can't. She goes, I can't is a cow too lazy to try? Now I don't know what that means, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like I spent years being like, okay, looking like, are some cow identified as can'ts? You know, like I, I never quite got it. But that was a Gwendolyn Lee, my mother said, is a, a can't is a cow too lazy to try. Uh, I, I was always like, what is she talking about? But I, I, I think I get it now, you know, that don't sit there and say you can't. You know, find a way that you can. And do it. It's it's amazing how our lessons from our parents um are wasted on us at an <laughs> early age. And then we're like, oh, this is what you meant. You know, so I I, I say my, my 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 people have always been my energy and my source. I've always felt that way. And I've always wanted to do something to affect the lives and experiences of people. And so I like to think that my um work is dedicated to the encouragement and the building and the strengthening
1: of people. Hmm. Absolutely, and I I love that because as you alluded to earlier, when we think about filmmaking and cinema in terms of culture, it's such a fundamental part of society, especially when we're thinking about perception. So as you guys know, I I travel the world a lot and I meet a lot of different people and I'm exposed to a lot of different content. And usually we we have the, the disclaimer like, oh, don't take this content as the gospel because there is a there's some creative uh, latitude when it comes to uh entertainment let's say right and sometimes that that uh, disclaimer isn't always there so i feel like things like uh intros to films that have let's say our people represented in a in a typical way should probably have a disclaimer like oh th- this shouldn't represent you know how black people as a whole are in the world because i feel like people look at it in a way that like okay yeah I see that, and then they look for a confirmation bias in real life, and it kind of leads to our situation now. So for me personally, as an admirer and a film geek, I've always viewed filmmakers as not only artists, but activists as well, kind of like how Andre is alluding to, because there's usually a deep esoteric existential editorial message infused within the spine of a film. And as you said, Andre, film is education, and this movement is an opportunity to educate. So my question for you is, as an filmmaker, excuse me, as a filmmaker, as an educator, who do you think would benefit from your educational art?
2: Who could benefit from educational art? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wanna, I'll try to avoid that. Everybody, you because <laughs> I want everybody to get it, that everybody buy a ticket, um, but I think, um, I think, I think I think anybody ready to know and when I say no, I mean become informed to become a, become um, awakened and enlightened and acknowledge the need of growth and development of self anyone ready to take the introspective journey you know um, I was I worked at a company where I was on the track to become a, a, a studio executive and I walked away from that because I was like I can't be you know, sitting here helping other people's films. me I me, mean, I gotta go make my own. You know, really walking away from like the golden handcuffs, you know, that would have been studio executive, you know, make that poster pop, you know, make that trailer pop, as opposed to like, getting my hands dirty and making the films and accepting that struggle. So <clears throat> when I think about who I want an audience to be or who I want to see and to learn and gain from, it connects back to my earlier discussion of anyone anyone, anyone has felt like other, you know, I say that my phone prep school Negro is dedicated to anyone that's felt like other, you know, and what, what person hasn't experienced that? And I think what I mean is anyone who really acknowledges understands what it means to be other, you know, of, of being in a space of, of, of having otherness, you know, I find people connect with my work in that capacity. So, yeah, I, I think that, I think I'll stick with that in terms of anyone who has done the work to understand what it means to be other. Hmm. Um, I find people who can't embrace that. My work just kind of goes right past their heads. It doesn't connect right away. But when you can think about those experiences of feeling disconnected, feeling excluded, and not involved properly in um, a majority space, no matter what it may be, I find that
0: people in in those realms connect with my work. That's awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate that, particularly the whole notion of if you ever feel othered, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, I think just having watched the film several times, I, I totally agree with that. And I would encourage everyone um, to find a way to get their hands on. I believe all your links will be in the description as well. Mm-hmm. The point and go take a look to see that. I was fortunate enough to have uh, Andre come share his film with my school institution, and then was able to sit on the the dais or the panel, as you say, with him. Uh, to discuss our reflection <coughs> about being um, you. you know black folks um at predominantly white institutions or all the things that came with it. Um and it's it's a it's a form of medicine in a lot of different ways. It's it's healing. Um so I would say it's healing through the art that you produce. And I'm I'm not sure about all the the jargon in terms of filmmaking, et cetera. So I'll try to ask this question the best way I can with the language that I have. Um, you know there's a lot of different filmmakers out there who have their their own, I guess, a uh, brand or their own trademark or identity as a filmmaker. You know, Spike Lee has those angles and those slow shots where people are zooming in and walking in. Like, do you have a trademark or an identity or a brand or what is your thumbprint or fingerprint that you leave on one of your films? Um, realizing that you do films across different genres, some are documentaries, some are a little bit more, um, you know, dramas, etc. Do you have a particular Fingerprint or thumbprint or whatever the jargon might be in the in the film space.
2: Yeah, uh that's interesting. I I I think of two in this space, and one of them is like I love doing little nods to like black culture in my films. And I love when I'm in an audience and and people either silent or they really get it, you know? <laughs> um, and I'll give one of the way, there's a scene in Prep School Negro when a particular characteristic is described about a couple that been separated for a number of years and never got divorced. And I say it under my breath, like black people, you know? <laughs> and you're in a space and people, like people are like, oh, you know, they hear it. And there's some people like, why are folks laughing? I don't understand this moment. You know, and it's just like what about my culture. I mean, who in the, let's do a, t- a poll right here amongst the three of us. Who amongst us know some black people that ain't been together 10, 20 years and they're still married? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, we're actually seeing it right now. And it's not even funny, a case with um, George um, Floyd's. He was still married to someone, and she's getting, and they have been together, and she's getting a great settlement. Uh-huh. Which, so it's, it's a problem to correct, um, um, and I mean that's when you think about that, that's that's painful to witness and think uh-huh. about and hear, let's in that situation. Um, to bring it back to the lighter side, you know, moments like that, you know, little pieces. I love putting those little pieces, a little, I guess I call them eggs, in a movie that are winks and nods that Are clear. And it's very interesting working with editors that don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one black editor who was like, oh, I see what you're doing. You know, which I think, like, we need to take this out. That doesn't make any sense. Like, silence that you just you wish with black people under your breath. Take it I was like, no, amplify that. Bring mm-hmm. it up. That's an important moment. You don't understand. I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, just trust me. Keep mm-hmm. it in there. Um, and I'm very deliberate. And it's so interesting being in spaces with people who don't get this stuff. You know, and my, my, my next one, Virtually Free, you know, we, we, we're following young children who are incarcerated. And, um, you know, they're little boys in jail, which is heartbreaking to witness and see. We don't see them in jail, we see them outside themselves, because that's part of our story. But this one kid showed up and he had like long nails, you know, and I told my DP, I was like, get those nails on camera because that's the story right there. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to show the kid with bad hygiene. I was like, no, that's not bad hygiene. They're incarcerated and he has nails, his long nails. I want you to try and, this is why my white DP, who I love is my boy. Think about it. And he, 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 he didn't give it. I was like, you know, it's, it's known by some people that, that that's a weapon. You know, that's a, that's a defense inside. I know this from having family and friends, in prison. I've never been in prison myself, Mm. My family and friends that like, you know talk about it and this isn't like just something I saw on TV. It's like yeah you know you know gotta keep your nails long because you get into a scrap with it's it's a weapon which is horrifying to think about but I was like that is a really brilliant way to illustrate in this story a very subtle message even if 10 people in a room 100 get it mm. for me that's that moment where somebody is like whoa you just spoke to me in a way that's so powerful, and you you acknowledge me, you see me, you understand me. Like for me, that is um, power. Hmm. That's real power um, in a in a situation. So I like to do that kind of stuff in filmmaking. Um, and then my my other and I'll, I'll acknowledge and admit this. I'm in, I'm he- I'm into the heavy. I'm into the heavy. You know, I I want to dig deep and have conversations. About um, serious moments in life, you know, mortality, uh, inequity, um, how we deal with and face, how we have that introspective journey, and deal with the heavy and the hard, so we can move forward. You know, my mother once, my mother said this when her mother passed away, and this is my message to people that are dealing with with losing someone. She said, "You don't get over these things; you get through them," hmm. and that stayed with me. So. I feel like I have a bit of a, with my art, like a guide to getting folks through some of the heavy, you
1: know? Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Absolutely. And I love that. And the whole aspect of providing, I guess the film term would be called Easter eggs for those who actually get it. And it's a big deal because usually those people, as you alluded to, really connect with the film even more so. And then hopefully, right, the audience will be able to, be educated by the by the film and the art in a way that those Easter eggs can actually pay off once they actually do get it. Perhaps at the end of the end of the film have that big aha moment. And that's yeah. and that's you that's usually where that self-growth as you were talking about happens. So this is I, I feel like this is one of the main reasons why I love film so much is because it's that growth. And it's like you said before you got to have a a passion, a desire, a thirst for knowledge and hunger. So, which is why I feel like we watch documentaries in general. So f- for me, I feel like it would be amazing to see a a, a Netflix type of uh, website with a bunch of f- films and documentaries from like Burning Sands or the Prep School Negro, things like that. Just for people to educate themselves and be like, you know what, I can't just, you know, write them off as, oh, you're behaving like this because of that. Now you actually have to dig deeper because everything is a story. I mean, there's over seven and a half billion people in the world. You you can't figure them out just by looking at them. That's literally impossible. And yet some of these people would be upset if someone judged them preemptively. And yet they do it to others. So it's just a bit of that cognitive dissonance Uh, with film. Again, it's a wonderful opportunity to... uh, to introduce them to that cognitive dissidence and have them look at that mirror of society and then help them make that change. I think that's brilliant.
2: Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Agreed,
0: agreed. So I have a, <clears throat> I have a question for you, good brother. Um, Cause in, in my humble opinion, I believe you are a goat in the making for the folks um, who might be watching, who don't know what goat is. Uh, <laughs> that's G O A T. We're not talking about the goat bad. We're not talking about that. We talk about greatest of all time ah. so good brother i think in my humble opinion you, you know you, you, you you're getting there and you're gonna you know you know if we had a forbes list if we could put something out you know you'd be on that list right so someone's making a biopic or, or i don't know if you said is it biopic or biopic what is it I biopic. okay I biopic. biopic. all right someone's someone's making a biopic about your life good sir one what is the name of it who who's playing you oh man (sighs) (laughs) Uh,
1: by the uh, way i'm directing so add that caveat
2: (laughs) you gotta get behind me yo um but uh oh boy uh you know, it's, it's hard, I'm, I'm mad when that, remember that movie about that darn seal called Andre came out? <laughs> I was like, damn! Uh, yes, yes! I'm take. i take. Ugh. Um, You know, and then My Dinner With Andre is another film. It's actually, it's a, that's a really challenging, incredible film, My Dinner With Andre. Mm. When I first saw it, I watched it as a, as a young kid, I was bored to death. As an adult, I'm like, oh, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, so those, those are taken, um, and I was trained by a complicated dude in terms of marketing. When you do marketing, you want to to do something to get, you know, Susan, who's on the couch in Iowa, to have their energy to get up and go buy a ticket and go to the movie. That's how powerful your marketing has to be. Don't think about Eric in New York or, or Lana in LA. Think about Suzanne. On a couch in Iowa. Um, I say Karen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> think about them. So I the title is tough. Um, because I want it to be powerful. And I can only give stuff that I think is uh, spitboarding and moo boarding and just drop and all that spitballing rather than moo boarding and all that stuff that's out there. But I think Andre has to be in the title, you know, possibly you know, we could go with the prep school Negro because that 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 shot and took people aback. Uh, you don't forget when you hear the prep school Negro, one of my favorites is being at a school and the head of school was introducing it. You know, we're gonna have a we're gonna watch the prep school Negro today. You know, we <laughs> I, I see, 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 like, don't wanna say it. Or like I walk in a room and there's some older black lady sitting there like this. <laughs> So what you trying to do, boy at Randy's movie. Uh, so, you know, Press school still stays with me. Um, but I would want it, I would want it to have some nod to like what we had and what we have. You know, from Cooley High to Black Panther, you know, there's power in those. So I got I really gotta think about that oh in terms God. of what the title would be because that's a hard one. But I want I want Andre in there. You know, I want um mm, Twice as hard. Boom. Twice mm. as hard. Mm. I love it. Because I think people be like, wait, what? I know that phrase. What you what you getting at? Folks can pull from it. That's my title today. Mm. Until we do some marketing testing, folks, focus groups. Etc. We're gonna start with twice as hard because I think that will really answer to and exemplify what um, what it may be. Twice That's as cool. hard. That's, That's what cool. I said now. And then I'll, I can't, I can't, I can't get the name. But homeboy, I'm you know exaggerating myself. But you, you see, moonlight, right? Mm-hmm. Homeboy, that was uh, the the older guy. Rehears- Rehearsal Ali. No, no, I'm a Hersh. I'm not that tall. Um, <laughs> the 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 guy who was um, at the the, in the last team with the with the gold
0: front. Got you. Okay. I don't know his name. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we got we got to look that up because that's important for us to know. Shame on us for not knowing that. Um, but I want I want Homeboy to mm. play me. Okay. And that is technology is going to help us to get this in a second. Trevante Rhodes. Got gotcha. you. It might be Travante, but I think it's Travante Trevant, Rhodes is his name. I okay. mean, I'll probably never be that jacked, but, you know, <laughs> but I, I like, he's dark, you know, he's kind of a silent actor. The roles he plays really vary up and down. And I think if we look at that in terms of, um, in terms of uh, Twice as Hard, I feel like he, he, he could convey that. And for the child, I, I want, you know, it's, gotta be, it's a violent thing, you gotta go out, you know, gotta go through. I want I want to get new faces we haven't seen yet. Hmm. Some new dark-skinned young men playing Little Andre, Teenage Andre, and then we grow up and see Jack Diesel, <laughs> Travante Rhodes.
0: That's, that's the casting cycle. That's dope. Okay, <laughs> I'm here for it's all of it's a good one, okay. Let's let's
2: go. You get to come to the premiere and the party.
0: Hey, <laughs> hey I'm there. Absolutely, Absolutely. you have to have uh bottles of Andre. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, where is
2: that stuff? <laughs> home for the holidays? Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> so, as a filmmaker, I feel like Whenever you go into the room, you essentially are the elephant in the room because there's a a bit of lack of representation, let's say, especially in terms of characters. So uh, as we see in the entertainment realm, such as film, TV, and even theater sometimes, sometimes we see more of, let's say, a character like Tupac and Juice, which is fair because there's a lot of... Things like PTSD, as we talked about with Doc Le- Dr. Ashley Oliver last week, that contribute to that. But I feel like when it's when that uh, when that story is portrayed, only if you get it do you know not to let's say cast judgment before you actually understand the character. Things like that, and as opposed to having characters like the, the you know the Huxa family. Things like that.
2: What What's the question? I'm sorry. Oh, i guess I say, I so into the words
1: why do you think that there's a lack of representation when it comes to those different elements of
2: mm-hmm. representing mm-hmm. our
1: society accurately
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought about that a lot a whole lot you know and you know being being inside being, I, i've been inside the industry you know i got to you know i worked at the academy awards mm. you know with a company that managed it like, set them up and made them what they are today. That company has since crumbled because the leader was just problematic. But I was standing next to the leader working at those events. So I got to see, you know, the salt. Beyond, please, you can say, be seeing a sausage being made. I got to walk in with the skin. <laughs> say, okay, we're going to make some sausage now. It's my job to go get it and bring it to set, you know? So when it comes to, why representation looks the way it is. It's a handful of people making decisions and choices. You know, I love that the academy is expanding the number of people involved in, in broadening and more women, or more people of color on the board now. But at the end of the day, it's about three, four thousand people voting for their friends. Hmm. It's not a true barometer of true talent. So, add that into when it comes to studios and, and we're seeing this change. People like my, my man Charles King is pushing a fight for that. Erica Armstrong Dunbar, one of my favorites, is like sneaking up behind Hollywood with this whole program of bringing all these like PhD level people that walk in the second, like, that ain't right, that ain't right, this isn't right, you know, like secretly coming up on it and be like, let me help you not embarrass yourself, you know, her company, which is. You'll hear more about that soon, but it's incredible. But when it comes down to it, you have a handful of people making these decisions. to a green light a movie that's like $100 million or more in the studio. It's not a 1,000 people taking a vote saying what's gonna fit for the majority of our world. It's like eight, nine people in an office that kick around a script. It took a while to get there and there's a lot of rounds for the go through. But When it comes down to it, the people making choices are making choices that seem similar to them. It's why even when we see, I'm, I, can, I can't help but look for everything in a movie. You know, when you watch a movie, you know, and it can be great and wonderful, and you're like, wait, but why, why is that white person so celebrated and leader and the one and like can do magic, you know? It's because the person who funded the film or behind the studio, can sign off on of the script, can green light, see themselves. And they say yes to themselves. Now, imagine the three of us who decide to make a movie right now about black kids going to private schools who grow up and start a radio show. We know how to find three actors that look like, sound like, understand who we are. Now, imagine someone from the outside coming and trying to set that up. I, I I kid you not, this is this is the truth. <laughs> Prep school Negro, I had a meeting. Trying to see if I can say that now. I had a meeting with a major studio. Major studio. And they were like, wow, you know, the title sounds great. You sound really cool. To give you a chance of opportunity sounds great. We're thinking that maybe this should move away from a documentary and become like an action drama piece. And maybe the guy plays football (laughs) and he has trouble with his family. This is what was pitched to me after reading what I wrote, took a meeting, you know, he plays football and there's some sort of drama with his family and maybe like gets a girl pregnant, Mm. you know, all stuff. And I'm sitting here like, you want the, and it's tough because you're sitting here like, this is Hollywood, Mm. you know? I mean, this is a Hollywood person that could make it happen they could make it happen. And I was like, that's not what this project is. It's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And they walked away, you know? And, this, and this, this guy was, this guy was and is a big name in the business and makes many things that we saw happen and green lights them and funds them and puts them out. And I was like, dang, you know, no. I think, and I think of, that made me think of, um, I think her name is, I think it's Michaela Cole who is, is chewing gum and now has a sh- that show on HBO right now called I might destroy you which is phenomenal. Like think about it. She went to Netflix and like, we'll take it, but you can't have any ownership. Give it to us, here's a, it'll be a couple million and we'll put it out. And she was like, "Nah, this is mine. This is my story. I created it. You can't take it and restructure it." She held on me. like that's a that's a prime example of like the the, the braveness. Well, I don't want to use the word brave. The boldness of um, of owning your black product and experience.
1: Hmm. It's
2: a great example in the business. How many of us could walk away from Netflix shaking millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars at us and be like, No, I think I'm worth. I think this is, this is she did a. She did a masterpiece, no Limit (laughs) Mm -hmm. to Netflix, and was like, "Nope, you know, I gotta, I gotta control my own thing, you know." Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, I, um, it's, it's just simple. Who makes the decisions? Who is deciding, publishing? uh, Look at, look at, look at, look at. You know, I remember being a little kid and getting this. You know, because I grew up in Philadelphia and was grew up eating fast food, and we had Geno's. At the time, remember Geno's. the Geno's Giant, and you go. I remember. I remember being a little little boy and thinking like, "Wow, everybody here is Latino. What everybody here is Jamaican that's working, you know." And as you looked and you saw who owned the restaurant, and they hired the people they knew, <laughs> you know, it was it was that simple. So. People are hiring folks they know and that they feel comfortable with. and, it's, and I, I said this, my, my the last company I work with, I'm the first black director they work with. so I think I film virtually free at this level and to this point. They said it to me once. And we had a lot of difficulties, you know, from me challenging them in places, having a hard time getting funded. I'm, I'm still talking about this movie twice as hard. Here's a chapter in it. I haven't been paid as a director on this film mm. fully they've been little pieces and this and that, and this and been gathering. But I was like, no, we gotta make it, pay everybody else. We gotta get this film done. We don't have the funding. That's what happens, you know? And I said to the producers, I was like, look, this is your first time going down this path with a black filmmaker. I've been challenging you on concepts and ideas. It's been twice as hard, which is what I'm used to. Promise me you won't stay away from working with black directors because of, of this experience. Because they could easily be like, you know what, this is too hard. Mm-hmm. Life shouldn't be this hard. And like, yeah, you're right. Life shouldn't be this hard. But it is for some of us. Please stay in it. Please stay in this game because we can make this work. Twice is hard does not mean you don't, you don't go. Hmm.
0: That's That's all phenomenal. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that story and all the gems you've been dropping, good brother. And um, I think just when I'm listening to you speak, one, I need to pay attention to a little bit more things because I know they got a little bit of a prep school Negro in it or influence in it. You know, I was just thinking once you said that, I was like, oh, that's pretty much like all American on Netflix. Like, you know, it's on CW and everything, but there's all these other pieces, please, mm-hmm, yeah, which are like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Yep. I get it. Um, so thinking about that piece, particularly what you just said in terms of staying in the game and encourage people to stay in the game, realizing that there's the whole notion of working twice as hard, etc. yet knowing that you are not. I know you teach a lot of students and, you know, don't give out the game for free. Make them pay for that. That's a master class. They need to you need a, you know, a master class. You can we can set that up on the side. They can pay for that. But for the folks, what can they get? The free version of tips, best practices and words of encouragement or Guiding principles for a young person of color or a young person, period, who wants to come through the filmmaking industry. Uh, what, what 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 would be your words for advice?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, first things first. Um, read, 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 study, think. You ever see a really bad movie? And you're like, <laughs> how did that get made? You know. It's because people ain't reading, you know, ain't uh, are not thinkers, are not trying to go down that path of understanding how they show up to a story. I'm looking at these because my I hear my earbuds' the battery is going out. Mm. Come on, Apple! Come on, Apple! <laughs> like, why is that going down? Um, and of course, with all the new modern plugins, I can't plug in the beast. Mm. it's sound good though. Okay, good. So yeah, completely with Dave Chappelle, no debate. I was thinking about that as I was telling that story. But in terms of tools for filmmakers, I always say, <clears throat> when it comes to school, film school is great, but promise me, you take philosophy, English, history classes, be a reader, writer, thinker. Hmm. I was on, When I was on set with the Spike Lee film, with the Malcolm Malcolm Lee film, I saw myself leap over people with MFAs because I knew how to write, like straight up, it mattered. It mattered so much that I knew how to write. I was in spaces because I could, I could, I could communicate myself. I could explicate the text. I could read. I could, I could. I was functioning at a level that was surprising to people, and I saw myself leap over people that had some other practical skills. So, in terms of, you know, being a director of photography, being an editor, being, you know, trained for that stuff. But because I could carry myself well. And speak clearly, <clears throat> not clearly, speak efficiently. Um, and like it made a difference in a matter. So that's my, that's always my first advice. And then, you know, I mentioned my Zen photocopying. When it comes to this business, no job is below you. You know, there's some things you don't want to do that feel difficult and complicated. But when I was with an Academy Award winning producer that was like, oh, my dogs are really great. I need you to walk them. And I don't believe in littering in the streets. So <laughs> here's a doggy bag. And I was like, wow, here I am in the streets of New York walking, and they were them. there were huge dogs with human size problems, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, I remember that and I was like, this better be something. <laughs> and also, you know, when you get invited in the room, go in that room, go in that room and stand in the background and take notes. You know, like I was like, "Oh, really?" Where I, you? you know, just sitting quietly taking notes. I know how to do. A, I know how to do a lot of stuff from being in some like crazy spots and situations and observing and taking notes. And then also learn from the nose. You know, one of the, one of the jobs you mentioned was my jobs with Diana Ross. Whew. man! Oh man! So I was Diana Ross's personal assistant for half a minute. Yeah, I got it. That was one of, my, one of my best Josh reactions. Look at everybody. Look at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what sure. I dream about. Um, and so I was her personal assistant. And the way the way I got the job was like, wow. Um, I got the call after leaving another studio and said, so we know we heard you can work with, with um, people that need a lot of assisting, you know, and we have someone who is a very successful African-American woman who wants to have her first male assistant ever. And I was like, who is it? We can't tell you who that is. We want you to have an honest application. We're going to do a background check. They spent five days calling people, checking on me, finally told me the morning of.
0: You got muted. Oh. You went on mute.
1: There you go.
2: I use my computer sound now. You're good. That's all right. Yeah,
0: you sound good. Yep. We got, we, we left you, up. We lost you at the morning of. See. Can you hear me? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you. We lost you at the morning of. Oh, we come on,
2: technology. It. Hold on. We're going to figure this out. That was a good story. I can see y'all can hear me, but I can't hear y'all. Let me figure out. to Audio. Should be coming out through my internal mics.
0: Can you hear us now? Say something now. Can y'all hear me? Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Ah, come on, technology. What are you doing to me? Did you change the output for where, where the sound's coming? Say something. You yeah, he can hear us. Can you hear hey. us? There you go. you go. Beautiful. So you, you, were, you had us on a cliffhanger, brother. You was talking about the morning <laughs> of. The morning of, you found something out. Excellent.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that, that right there. I just modeled it. Stuff goes wrong. Be calm. Figure it out. That's how I advice young people, stay up in it. Don't freak out. I can't, I can't as a cow to make you cry. whatever that means. Yes. Um, so Diana Ross, I go there, I drive up, we drive to her house. She has this crazy house, 11 acre, 11 acre estate in Greenwich, Connecticut. No lie, Donald Trump lived down the street. He had these two golden retrievers that would come to her house every day. I was like, I get it, y'all hate it there. I understand, <laughs> you know, I understand, you know. And I'd have to walk them back up to the house, you know. They were adorable, those two dogs. I feel for them. They had to live in that house, and that was—I mean—you you, every morning you come and you are standing in their wagon tails, like "Save us, save us," you know. Um, so, up to her state, my job was in her state, and um, she was intense. She was great, but here's here's a moment for you. Um, because I got fired six times. I've (laughs) never gotten fired from a job. Ever gotten fired from a job like that. And I was like, Dad, like what? The first time I got fired, because I was talking to her, I was like, Oh, Miss Ross, I want to tell you that I was telling my mother about working here, and she wanted me to relay that she really appreciated you, and you know, she's your age, and she just really is thankful for all that. She said, Ooh, baby, don't don't tell people about you working here. And I was like, Oh, it's fine, it's just my mother. And she's like, oh, okay. And I get home and there's a message like, sorry, Miss Lee, we're not sure it's going to work. We need to know if someone will be confident. We'll keep, keep your work confident and won't spread it around. And I was like, wow. You know, the next day I changed my mind. Will you come back, that kind of thing. One time I converted a fine, a, a number, I'm trying to tell all her business. I converted <laughs> a sheet to Excel from, from tables that had numbers and, mon- and money in it. And I was like, I can't, I can't use this. What are you doing? You know. Um, but you ever here's a here's a query for you. Have you ever have you ever heard about one of her kids being caught up in trouble, drama, drugs, baby moms, etc.? You ain't gonna see them around the red table. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> and that, that's because Diana Ross is an old black lady from the projects. And it's very like, what you say, boy? Like, I see her like, go <laughs> for her belt, even though it's like diamond encrusted. <laughs> <She's like, "What?" laughs> you know, and I, I once got fired for this. She had a um, her the house was incredible, like incredible. It's an 11 acre estate, just like pool that was stone, and like some of like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, with a pond and flowing stuff, and. One and the stove was disgusting. The stove was like greasy, it had that little jar of grease on top, you know. And one day I was like, I'm gonna help Miss Ross out, and I cleaned the stove off. <laughs> she went off, oh. she's like, Boy, don't touch my stove, you know, like, what are you doing touching my stove? And I was like, Well, I thought I could, you know, just keep it. She's like, Ah, oh, no. Um, and when I, when I as a, then I was like, What? Oh, I said, but I thought about it, she's Diana Ross. The world claims everything about her, all her pieces, but her home life and her kids were hers. And she made, the kids would come home. I would have to leave the house by three o'clock because little Evan <laughs> was still like young, was still in school, high school. And she's like, you gotta go because it's time for me to be mom. So I'm, you're, you're very seven to three, I'm, you gotta go. Um, and I was like, wow. Um, but that's because she was a mom and she cooked. That's why her stove was dirty because she cooked. She made the food. One of, one of the favorite things was her like one of those like crazy Lipton casserole dishes, mm. I went and I was like, I don't know about that part of Detroit, but okay, <laughs> you know. She so so I think I I'm sharing all that to say that one of one of my biggest lessons. She when I when it was the last time she fired me and invited me to come back. <laughs> I said, I said, no, Ms. Ross, I don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think I should. I don't think it's right. Because she fired me because she said, you know, I've been watching you, boy, and you're a creator. You shouldn't be assisting. You should be out in the world making. You should be out in the world making. And I was like, no, 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 the connections I have with you and the people I can meet, she's like, mm, you should be out there making. You are not assistant material. You're at an age now It's time for you to go and struggle and work and create. Right, and I heard that I was, it was such. It was such. It was like the worst no, because I needed the money. I needed the job. It's Diana Ross, mm. like no lie. Hi, is uh Miss is uh, is Diana there? Yes, ma'am. she's calling? It, it's Michael. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> and this was it was during the trial. Mm. So he was calling all the time. No, baby, I know, baby, I know you didn't do it, baby, I know. It was like that kind of thing. And I'm sitting here like. That's crazy. You know, totally, totally. Tracy would call, "Hey, is my mom there? Hold on." You know, like it was, it was crazy. You know, to the point, like, like, you know, I doubt if I see them all, think like, "Hey, what's up?" You know, but I would do my little reminder. But I, I tell that long story to say that that no, from her, was so powerful, mm-hmm. and it, and like hearing that lesson, even though I was like, ah, you know. I, I wouldn't be here today without, without that, that, that lesson I couldn't even see. Cause I was so in it at the moment. Mm. It was so, so important, so deeply important.
0: Mm. Awesome.
1: That makes so much sense. And it's just, as you were saying, paying it forward. And like you said, at the time, you didn't really understand or appreciate the advice, but probably the best advice you might, you might've gotten in your young career, which is amazing. an Amazing blessing. So shout out to Diana Ross, one of the, uh, Original queens,
2: right? Completely, <laughs> completely.
1: Back to your original point about reading and how that's so important. And as we know, Professor Yisrael has the Black Power bookshelf. Oh, yeah. Even as a young filmmaker, I'm thinking about incredible works like Joseph Campbell's, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And then for, I guess, as we s- segue into Black entrepreneurship, especially because because I feel like Black filmmaking falls under that that umbrella because it's so needed black storytelling from an accurate point of view without let's say a uh, budgeted parameters I think is incredibly important because I feel like you, you begin to micromanage creativity and that's perhaps what Miss Ross was alluding to. So from your perspective as a filmmaker and as a black entrepreneur, what would you say a, a modest, budget perhaps you know low budget or indie film as it is referred to in the industry will look like in order to give a vision justice and thinking about incredibly talented creators like donald glover someone who might be a a smorgasbord of whatever you need what what type of a modest budget would they need in order to create their uh prep school negro hmm
2: You know, I, <laughs> I think um, the budget, that's, that's always a hard question because you have to decide what you wanna do and how you wanna tell it, you know? And this is what I tell my students when I teach film, you know, where it doesn't matter what you have. You know, one of my favorite photographers, um, uh, Paul Strand, He's a great photographer. You you've probably seen his images out there before. He once said it doesn't matter what camera you have, you know. And he said every good photographer should have a Pentex K one thousand, and that's the old school low film. You got to do the latch. You got to turn it each shot because you got to know how to do this, you know. And I I used to say that I could bake a chicken on a rock, you know. <laughs> Like I can make a I can bake a whole chicken on a hot rock. And the notion is I know how to do this stuff. You know, and it's it's kind of wild that right now the note from the elders is like pops up in here because it's like they're like, remember who we are, you know, to so this. So listen, listen and believe in your faith in what you know. Have faith in yourself and listen to all that you come from. You know, the fact that the three of us, considering who we descendants of, are here right now. Hmm. Is is the miracle, is the gift, is the is the is the incredible it's an incredible moment. So, with that in mind, in terms of building your budget, I think the first thing first is not to be limited by what may be fearful, you know. Um, and there are so many ways to do it. There's so many ways. There's um, um, oh, oh my man, African American filmmaker who made 45 films between 1919. In 1949, Oscar oh. Micheaux. Mm-hmm. You know, how many of you, how many Oscar Micheaux movies have you seen? Considering a black man had the first black studio from 1919, 1949. Hmm. Exactly. Wow. Oscar. Wow. Michelle, wow. Tense guy, brilliant. You know, and he had this moment where they they secured a fur coat from somebody. They borrowed it. He was like, "Word." They made five movies, you know, where somebody's walking by in a fur coat. He's like, just get it. Film our films first, walk off the street in the fur coat. So we can add that to the story later. And it was a matter of like, you just got to go and make it happen. So, in terms of that budget to make your own Prep School of Negro, to make your own movie, your own project, um, you got to be honest with what you want and have access to. You know, I started with zero with Prep School of Negro and raised over half a million dollars in three years. You know, and it would, it would took blood, sweat, tears, and a lot of sacrifice to get to it. And I really lucked out with getting some great partners. I'm still in cahoots with it to this day. Um, but the budget budgeting is a very it's like a budgeting is a science. You got to sit down with somebody that understands how to truly do it um, and g- get your vision. Stick to it the best you can. If you can't make it at this scale, find a way to make it at that scale, you know? Find, find some way to pull together and to make it happen because that, that budget is a, is a tricky question, but don't let yourself be limited. You know, find a way, make a way out of no way. I grew up with somebody hearing the phrase all the time, rubbing rubbing two nickels together, trying to make a dollar. Mm-hmm. You know? Or I had, a, I had my grandmother, she was so funny, we, when I'm um, whenever, because I, I always have my open my mouth in, in grown close folks conversation, and she would say, You ain't got that much money, so you need to keep your two cents to yourself. <laughs> Grandma's, right? My grandma had the lines, and I'm I, I say that like to bring a little humor to and levity, but you know, I come from very little. I never imagined I'd be able to sit where I am, and the whole entrepreneurship is about trying to get. And, and maintain and build for us, because we are existing in a system that does, that's, that does not want us to participate, yet we participate at a high level. I think the, the number of African-Americans spending, I forget if I'm going in a different direction now, but when you said the, edu, edu, the entrepreneurship, entre, entrepreneurship, you brought, you sparked some moments. I think the, the latest numbers I heard in terms of African-American dollar, what that means, 1.2 trillion dollars mm-hmm. in the American economy and we're only 14% of the economy and account for a lot of spending and we're very brand loyal there are certain mm-hmm. products that we go to you know that are that are ours and we don't own a lot of those products you know which is a question of apparel hair clo- hair products those areas like, what does it mean for us to begin mm-hmm. to find ways to jump into ownership? You know, when we consider, you know, that we don't, you know, own those things. You know, watches, skincare, hair grooming. This where we spend our money in, like, the, some of the highest numbers. Do you, do, do, you know, I can name some hair care people. Shout out to my girl, my woman, Miko Branch of Miss Jessie's and Memory of TT. Those ladies pulled it together, you know, in the house. Like, we need something for us. And they made it and their, their price point is high, which I respect, because they know their value and worth, but they were like, enough of this, like, going these places, and like, let's get something that's good for us, that's magic, and that's beautiful, makes you feel special. Uh, I always, I, I, look, I turn to Miko so often for her um, inspiration and the like, um, but do you know any black watch
0: makers? I think I only know of one, only because it pops up on Instagram, but I haven't done research to see if it's Truly black, but as I believe is kin, K I N. Okay. I think, I think.
2: Well, that that's one of the largest things that we as black people consume. Mm. And, uh, mm. Yeah. How do we? How do we? You know, I, I once heard Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, give a talk. It was like a London School of Economics discussion, and he said, "Let me talk to y'all about the gold rush." You know, he said. um who in this room can name anybody that made their millions from the gold rush? Everybody was looking around, you know, and they said, so let me talk to you about when it comes to a gold rush. Everybody ran to tell us making gold, but the folks that are still around, they made the pots and pans and they made the jeans. Who in the room knows the, the word, the name Levi's? Mm-hmm. Like, Dad, you know, And they said, who in here has heard the phrase Teflon or Dupont, and it's like ooh. He was like, yeah. They were like, oh, the people need, and here's here's a horrible, terrible one. He didn't say this, but I'll go to it. Who knows the name Trump? Do y'all know what Trump's grandfather did during the Gold Rush? Great grandfather, rather? No, grandfather did during the Gold Rush. What they did? Brothels. Trump's grandfather came from from a place a place called Trump in Germany, <laughs> literally a place that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't welcome the family back to. And probably now they're almost ready to change the name. <laughs> but he came here and he opened up brothels. He mm. went to the gold mines like, oh, this is what the people need. And it's like, dad, you know, so that's a crazy example to go on that path. Let's go back to Levi's and Pops. You know, um, <laughs> how do you, how do you go and see what the market needs and wants? And how do you build and fulfill that need and speak to it? Because I think that is um, a really smart strategy in terms of, um, and I remember, I remember hearing, and I've never been like a business school dude, but hearing my Bloomberg, I was like, wow, that's a real moment. Like, anybody talking about the gold people they made money in gold. You know, they did something else. They, made, they probably went out of, like, made it and lost it. But the folks that stayed around, and the people are like, wait, people are in the water, in these hills, digging and picking maybe some some sort of something to wear that's a little more sturdy mm. Boom, levi's you know mm. everybody's everybody's using a pot in the water to siphon out the gold let's make a better pot <laughs> you know
0: right right right,
2: mm. right? So think about it
0: that's real, real. yeah it's very real that's real and be- before you get to that question good brother because i want to make sure you uh you get a chance to tell the people what you're rocking um, I think, again, in my humble opinion, I said you're on your way to goat status, definitely on your way to goat status. And then also in terms of just hearing you talk and think about all the perspectives that you bring, you know, I know you've been riding around getting it out in these Rona streets, right? I think what you have to offer is pandemic proof. You know, you still get into the bag and you're securing that coin. I understand that. Talk to us about what you're rocking, brother. Talk to us about some of the things you're you got going on, Mr. Black Entrepreneur and all the things you create. You know, I, I went and pulled
2: out the, the cap. I you see. Get it out. You making out? You making out? Yep, 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 yep. Government cheese, baby. <laughs> um, and this is this is the shirt that's coming. This is the shirt that's coming. I, I'm still I'm still like in the in the in this place Tinkery. I have got my logo done my boy Aaron from New Zealand. Rest in peace, Aaron. Brilliant young man. He also does the guy the same guy that did this. and Did the hat? Did the logo for Prepsco Negro? Dope. Wow. Okay. My people, Aaron, brilliant designer, gone too soon. Um, but <coughs> government cheese is my clothing line. I grew up in North Philly. My grandmother was the queen of like giving out the government cheese. So we always had <coughs> a block or two in our house. Excuse me. And I, it started from being at a prep school Negro screening. And like, you need to be selling merchandise. And I was like, I don't have merchandise. I was like, well, you should, get, you should make some shirts I say prep school Negro. I would rock it. And I was like, ah. And so I started digging and looking into mm-hmm. it. Thought, How can I make that beyond the movie? And also making something called Principal Negro, as I've seen, it's hard to take the market. And so I started thinking, oh, well, you know, what's something I like and I enjoy? I was like, government cheese. It's <laughs> yeah. Very original, you know, and, mm-hmm. it, and it makes everything great. And of course, you know, as that, as Beyonce's husband once said, you know, I went from cheese to cheese, you know, and I love that notion and idea. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who Beyonce's husband is, he's like, <laughs> J-D. Um, And he, um, there's that notion of going from cheese to cheese. And I started my little company called Government Cheese. And it was, the idea was how to um, take something that's mine, that I know and that I love, bring something. Once again, that's that nod. When I say to people, I have a company, a clothing company called Government Cheese, people are like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I get it, I get it, I get it. And when I first started rocking the hat, I was surprised. I saw I met a lot of like white people. I was in a sewing once. This guy was like, What what's that on your head? And I was like, Oh, it's it's a little clothesline hack of government cheese. And he was like, I will wear that. I said, well, he said, Yeah, I'm from Iowa. We we always had government cheese. Mm. You know, and I was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, so I started small. Because I had a little investment. Shout out to my boy Michael Cox, who has believed in me at every single darn turn. Hmm. Put a little dollars in. We made the hats. Look at the five panel. Look at the five panel. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. And it's available right now on, on sale govcheese.com. Gov, Talk Gov about and it. Gray. We'll put the link. Look at the link down there. Order your hat. $25. It's sturdy. It's good. Five panel. Um, the shirt is coming. It'll be real simple. And the, the shirt, I'm doing like a whole artist and approach where I'm actually making the shirts, you know? And I'll, I'll also say this which is really important. My mother worked in a factory and every place I work through, the shirts I ordered from, I make sure people are treated well in that factory, that is equal and balanced. I ain't mm-hmm. trying to put no evilness out and support mm-hmm. evil. I know what it, I know and witness firsthand my mother and my grandmother being broken down from brutal work in a factory. So I'm very mm-hmm. into like, he spoke to your mouse. I drove the poor people in um Asia crazy with my questions because I had to had to have a design over there in May because it was it was economically correct for the the first first um start. And like you asked so many questions. Like, yeah, I want to know. You know, put somebody on own phone. I wanna know how what life is like on the floor. <laughs> and like, we assure you that we treat our workers good. I was like, show me something now. What you got? You got <laughs> you know. Like they were like, who, and I had people like walk away, like this is, we don't do, this is too much. And I was like, that's my answer right there. Cause that's, that's very important to me that I know and understand what life is like for the workers in places that are producing my chairs. Cause I, I can't, I can't come out, I can't come out like that, hmm. you know, and push something that is not supporting and helping people and that is oppressing people, you know? So yeah, that's my little, my clothing line, my apparel, my apparel line, gub cheese, Dre. This is a website, government cheese, hat. I'm keeping it real simple. Hats, shirts, stickers. Someday we'll get to the level of hoodies and all that stuff, but like start real small. Cause it's kind of, it's like side hustle, yet right there. Beautiful. See?
0: Dope, dope. Go get that merch.
1: I know, right? I'll link in the description. And to Dino's question as a kid from Philly growing up, who did you look up to?
2: Uh, growing up in Philadelphia, looking up to at my time, um, it's a mixture. Um, he's not from Philly, but it comes to mind. LeVar Burton, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I was so into reading Rainbow as a little kid, butterfly in the sky. I can, I can fly I can twice, fly, the sky, the sky. right? It's <laughs> a little book. It's a that was my stuff, you know. Um, and then, and then, you know, being in Philadelphia as a kid, it was all about sports heroes. And I'm not even much of a sports person, but like Dr. J was like the thing for every little black boy, you know. Every little black boy for a while, I, I respected, looked up to Wilson Good, but that got complicated you know? <laughs> I couldn't understand as a child. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about check out the episode of, um, of um, Brown Juice Barbershop with his long explanation to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We'll leave that here for that plug. I hope that's okay um, with you, uh, Mr. Josh, as you put it out there. Um, but um, I, um, it's hard for me to answer that question, because I, 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 I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I looked up to a lot of the people in the church you know, those are my role models. Those are people that were like making it happen. And it's interesting, you know, Southern Baptist church, people were in church all day long and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Saturday, summer, summer um, Bible clinic or Bible camp. Mm-hmm. And these people, as an adult, I was like, why are they so into this whole universe? And I realized that these people were janitors workers, laborers, factory factory people. But on Sunday they were presidents and treasurers and deacons and they were running an institution. They're a little messy, but they were running an institution and kept the doors open. And I think I think I had a lot of cause that's what I knew. This is this is oh deacon so and so you know or wow she's a president of this group. I didn't know what it meant, but to me that meant a lot. You know, um and I was also surrounded by a crowd of women that were raising me. You know, when those, those were my, those are my like, wow, they are making, they're making a way out of no way um, and keeping me fed and keeping me out of trouble and putting the fear of God for me from stealing a pencil from school, you know, (laughs) which kept me, I think kept me on the straight and narrow. So um, I will say, yeah, I looked into a bunch of people, but it was, it was the typical stars you get in the Philadelphia area, you know, and then. The, honestly, the people like in the church community I had, cause they were grown folks who were running and teaching me to be me, you know, and then the, the crowd of women that, you know, were like a bulwark around me, you know, a fence to keep all the bad out.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's, that's, that is fantastic. And what I want to do is, um, so most of my career has been spent asking questions, um, whether as an admissions officer, Or, I don't like to use the word officer as an admissions counselor. That's how I, there's a difference between the two. Um, That's another story for another day. However, um, (laughs) also in terms of um, hiring, one of the questions that I often ask is you know, we've asked you a lot of questions this evening, and you've given us some great things to work with. But is there anything that we have not asked you um, that you think is important for the people to know? Or is there anything that you want to share? with the people as you impart your, you know, final words for this segment, for this, this time together um, to leave them with something to think about or contemplate?
2: Uh, yeah. So much of my work and experience is dedicated to the self and improving self, And I think I challenge us to look at the deep, hard facts and truths of ourselves. You know, we talked about entrepreneurship and the black dollar, but we, I think what we miss out on is when it comes to why we don't support black businesses. You know, like what is in us that's trained us Hmm. not expect something to be at the level we want it to be at. When you, oh, I ain't messing with that that stuff. I ain't going to that restaurant. You know, or, you know, that's, that's good. Like what's what's in us to immediately assume that black is less and white is superior? We can talk about the black dollar all day long and black entrepreneurship and everything. But if, if folks don't truly change their perceptions and I, 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 I enter this space with love and respect. And see, I get how you are where you are. I'm not shaking my finger and criticizing you. I'm saying you've been affected by a system. You've been affected by 400 years of history in this country, which was seeded in centuries of education and ways of thinking that were not about, um, not about supporting you and pushing you forward. So. Let's stop and think about how we question blackness. Hmm. We challenge if something black let me let me let me check it out first. As opposed to like, let me see if this is a good product. You know, what happens if you walk in assuming it's gonna be one of the best products in the world? You know? What if what if we what if we what if we approach black businesses, black people, black experiences in that way? And I speak to that from personal growth and challenges I had to have, because I grew up with it like, oh, you know, you know how it's going to be when you go to so-and-so restaurant. You know how it's going to be when you order this. It's going to come on time, it's going to be It's going to be worth it, it's going to fall apart. Like, oh, 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 those things are in our heads because we're taught to believe and think that way. And the moment something is incorrect, you know, I've seen people be like, oh, well, you know, they just need to further their product with a white product and they're like, I ain't going back. They did me wrong, I ain't going back to them. It's like, what'd you just do right there? Mm-hmm. What'd you just do right there where you dismissed and denied a black person a chance to fall and stumble and get mm-hmm. back? I think about it when it comes to black movies, you know? Like, oh man, that was garbage, you know? It's like, well, yeah, so was half of it. Adam Sandler's movies, <laughs> you know, but he gets to come, and I people go, he gets to come back and do it again and do it again and do it again, you know. There's a there's a there's a and I, I I'm I'm guilty of it with Tyler Perry. I was all like, man, listen, you know. And I think it was more because I was forced to watch all that stuff at some auntie's house <laughs> again and again and again on the VHS tape, you know, that was skipping and messing up and. Everybody's laughing, everything else is so loud, you can't hear it anyhow, you know? So I think I think I entered like, just sick of his stuff before he was <laughs> back, but it was a different story. And he's not perfect, but I'm amazed at the vitriol that people have a response mm. to his work. Like, that's amazing to me. How people like, he is the worst. And it's like, is he? Mm. Is he really? Because, it's not perfect, but there's a whole, he put, he gave Cecily Tyson work. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, What you do, mm-hmm. what you do. He gave Cecily Tyson, our, our national treasure who is so, dude, she was the first Miss Jane Pittman and Harriet Tubman. She was the mama and sounder. Like, come mm. on, that's Cecily Tyson and he brought her back and like, treated her like a queen. And I you know, had some notes about the script, but I'm, I'm, no, I'm no longer go, oh, he's an embarrassment to all of us. I'm like, you know you know what? That's the Oscar Micheaux of our time. And think mm. about what people probably did to Oscar Micheaux. That's why mm. y'all don't know him. Wow. That's just why y'all don't know. Think, let me say that one more time. 44 films between 1919 1944, and you don't even know him. And homeboy would like put the cans in the back of a car, and the students wouldn't do it, so he would go to the black neighborhood neighbors. I look at some movies, y'all, and his movies were all black cast, and they were complicated. Similar to Tyler Perry, the light skinned people were good, the dark skinned people <laughs> were bad. You know, it was there. It was there. Women, women becoming problematic because they became independent. Mm. Like it was there. And it was still happening. You know, um 1919, a black man decides to make movies. And I imagine a generation of folks I know I know for a fact that the white movie authorities didn't want us to know about him. So they were they were successful in that realm. And then now when I look at today in terms of some filmmakers, like I, it's it's hard for me to say I hate a film because I know how hard it is to make it though. Mm. So that last piece I wanted to say is, let's love ourselves. Let's aggressively love ourselves and appreciate it. And it took me a while to do that because I wasn't raised to think that way. I really wasn't. I was raised by hurt people, and hurt people hurt people. Mm. And that's who raised me, and they didn't understand the love at that level. They practiced it. And did it in their own ways, but it wasn't. It wasn't at the front of the conversation,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know. And not, and we need to be radical in that sense and start um, speaking and going forward. I believe in that way. Hmm. Wow!
0: Thank you,
1: thousand percent. And it reminds me of the Brown Juice Barbershop and how Thank you all got to review Majesty Bourbon, which mm. you know, I'd like to try it. So it, and it was because of y'all. That I actually have the uncle nearest, right? Oh yeah. As well. Phenomenal. And you can essentially see how, as Andre was alluding to, it's just the whole, the right, excuse me, the white is right mentality is just totally subconscious. You're not even aware of it unless it's pointed out to you. So it kind of reminded me of, you know, as a, as a former basketball player and a fan of the NBA, it kind of reminded me mix of Lynn's sanity. So, when mm-hmm, who isn't like the predominant race? They get promoted heavily. So it's it kind of it kind of reminded me of that, like in what you were talking about with Tyler Perry. So it's just like okay, you don't want to you know appreciate someone who looks like you, right? But for everyone else, you'll give them that that latitude. And I feel like we know from the film industry the film industry and theaters are based upon the not the not the uh, blockbusters, but it's based upon all the smaller films that people see in between the blockbusters. That's that's what creates the film industry. And I would say at least 90 percent of those are, you know, keeping up with the uh, the Joneses in terms of production value.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're going to have
1: less production when people look like us and less, let's say, quality of representation of us as well so it's just something to be aware of and because of the marketing as andre alluded to earlier because of the lady in idaho right they're not they're not thinking about that and thus we aren't thinking about it either right yeah
2: we gotta turn that around we're gonna turn that ship around ship yeah. i said chip. turn that ship <laughs> 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 Keep it clean.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, good brother. I really appreciate all the words of wisdom oh, and gems man. you have dropped.
2: My pleasure. I, I love this. I love. I love this. This is fantastic. I, the work that y'all do, I feel honored to be included hmm. in the fold. I've I've been watching quietly and learning from how um you all do stuff because because I, I I knew that Mikhail was the original homework kid. But then I saw Josh. say like, oh he got a buddy. Like, I can't keep up. I'm like, we should put- oh you did. We should like oh you did. <laughs> you know look like, I'm like am I am I carrying my weight? Because <laughs> y'all be going. And I'll be like, oh yeah yeah let me do that too. It's beautiful. I, I appreciate I appreciate the both of you. I really do. It, it is encouraging and exciting, and the and the complete effort to keep working and to build you know, to really work and build is is powerful to witness and see. So I'm honored to be included and invited to take part. So thank you for inviting me um, along.
1: Absolutely. And we are all blessed by your presence and wisdom, Brother Andre. We really appreciate it because not a lot of people, as you alluded to, know many black directors. (laughs) So the fact that we get to learn from one, especially one who is a keynote speaker and activist an educator and really has been living what he's you know believed that's that's incredibly empowering to all of us so we just wanted to say collectively thank you we appreciate you we love you thank you all the love is going back, right at, you. back
0: thank you. right at you yes aggressively loving ourselves absolutely yeah,
2: yeah
1: absolutely. absolutely yes and this you know, speaking of aggressive love, we do have to give a shout out to the Israel's who celebrated a seven year anniversary. So, congratulations!
2: Don't you know what to
1: do? <laughs> appreciate y'all, appreciate y'all.
0: Beautiful,
2: we all believe in that match.
0: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> and the odd, you know, odd match of introvert and extrovert is just phenomenal. It's yeah, it's right? An anomaly. I, I love it.
0: Need that balance, need that balance.
1: Mm. Absolutely. So, guys, thank you once again. We'll see you again next week at 6 p.m. And Dre, thank you so much. And everyone, make sure you check out the Brown Juice Barbershop. Link is in the description below. Next episode be coming out on Thursday, right? Yeah. Excellent. All right, everyone. Stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much.
0: Peace. You repeat what they created and get power to hate
1: But worst of all, we disappointin', all the great Black
0: lives matter, black lives matter, yeah, ayy Black lives matter, black lives matter, yeah, ayy